the magnificence of the mind, the magnificence of our body as a human being. I just realized that, God, everything has been written for us in our scriptures. We didn't understand it that way. Welcome to a new episode of Most Memorable Journeys. My guest today is somebody who is very, very dear to me and somebody who I normally speak French to, but because this podcast is in English, we are going to speak English today. And we have spent quite some time together in a room, becoming better people, training as coaches. We did our master coach training together in Dubai in 2015. And she's an amazing, amazing lady. She was an educator for 20 years and then became a professional coach, quantum healing hypnosis practitioner, a master coach, master NLP practitioner, an amazing person who helps lots and lots of people in this world to let go of stuff that weighs them down. Welcome to Most Memorable Journeys, Leila Abbi. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Elizabeth. So it's such a pleasure to be here with you today and, uh, and sharing those uh, special stories that we have in our lives usually. Uh, and it, it varies from one person to another. So I'm going to share mine today. Thank you. We have to tell the audience that we had lunch not long ago, just a couple of weeks uh, ago, because I was in Dubai and I visited Leila in Abu Dhabi and I was kind of looking at her and I thought she is one of my potential podcast guests because she has a lot of stories to tell. So Leila, tell me, most memorable journeys, when were you on a plane for the first time in your life? I was uh, 14 years old, traveled from Algiers to Marseille in south of France uh, to spend time uh, abroad. That was the very first time of my life to take the plane and, and travel with my parents. We went to visit him, my dad's best friend in, in France. Uh, it was really amazing. It was uh, something I, I will never forget, of course. It's, uh, the first times are always uh, very special. You were born in Algiers. Did you go to a French-speaking school? Did you speak French when you were 14? No, 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 not at all. Um, French uh, was my second mother tongue, I would say. Uh, my dad spent most of uh, his young, uh, you know, from teenagehood up, up until maybe his mid-twenties, he was in France. Uh, and he, he spoke French very fluently. And we used to speak French with him at home as well. My, okay. my dad is Algerian, he's an Arab, but we speak French at home. So it's something that I grew up uh, with, speaking French. Okay, so it's kind of your second mother tongue, but you do you, your, your mother tongue is Arabic, right? It is, yes, it is. Yeah. Right? Uh, my generation, it's the it, it it was the case in all families, most most of them in Algeria. Uh, French is our se second second language in France. In uh, yeah, it always makes me laugh. Like in Egypt as well, we have a common Egyptian friend, and uh, and people in Lebanon they actually speak three languages in one phrase. It's usually a little bit of Arabic, a little bit of French, and a little bit of English, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, we do that as well. Yeah, and we don't <laughs> even pay attention. Like once um, uh, I was upset with my younger daughter and, and said, tu comprends, tu, tu comprends l'arabe, no? Like, you understand Arabic, don't you? But I was saying it in French. And then the whole time I was speaking with her in French, I said, but mama, it's, this is, you're not speaking in Arabic at all. <laughs> <laughs> you are so used to, you know, you don't even realize anymore that you're, you're speaking in a different language. Exactly. <laughs> Now, um, 
We um, were talking before we started recording and you were telling me about one trip that was a most memorable journey. And that was before you had children. You were you were traveling with your husband on a ship, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. Tell me, yes. tell me about that trip and tell me everything. Yes, I will. I had just finished my university studies. I did a bachelor in microbiology. And, uh, you know, it was quite uh, quite stressful time because to research uh, in laboratories and all, all that. So I just decided to go six months uh, on an oil tanker with my husband. Well, I, I, I was married quite young. I was married at uh, 20. So at 24, when I finished my university studies, I decided to go with him for for six months. Um, and the, it was really a member, something I will, I will always consider as the most beautiful travel I've ever had. It was really unique because it's not the kind of travel that anyone can have. Uh, I was uh, privileged to be the, the wife of the captain on board, very far away from civilization, you know, just in the middle of the Atlantic uh, oceans, going from the Atlantic to the Mediterranean and visiting port cities, not as we do, you know, when we go on, as tourists, we go to capital cities and we go to uh, specific uh, touristic places. But this time it was um, really port, uh, petroleum port, uh, ports around the Mediterranean. And what really made it very special is that uh, I'm, I, I love the sea. Uh, I'm a Mediterranean daughter, as I, as I always uh, call myself. And I even believe that maybe in a past life I was maybe... A whale, because I love whales, you know, whales, dolphins. They, I, I, I mean, I'm always in awe when I see, uh, or when I see them, you know. Uh, so I was really blessed to be able to be on that big, big ship, you know, more than 400 meters long, uh, having those walk nighttime, uh, early mornings, and just watch dolphins, flying fish. You know, we call them the exocet raised sometimes uh, in ports, uh, visiting different countries around Africa. Uh, it just happened that it was in 1990, the year where my first daughter was born. She was born in December, but I, I got pregnant during that trip. Okay. Yeah. So she, she, uh, she, she, she must be feeling a little, she must be liking the sea as well. If she was. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think she does. Uh, we, we went around uh, Cape Town. At the, and we were there waiting for food supply uh, on the shore of Cape Town. We waited a few days, and it was do, during those days where um, Mandela got released from prison. Wow. Uh, and and we, we just heard the news, and it was really amazing. We were so happy. Uh, it was really something really I would I would always remember and cherish. And uh, right after that, we went up to the Mediterranean, Mediterranean Sea, and then we crossed the Bosphorus, went to the Black Sea, all the way to Constanza in right. Romania. And that was the moment where, when we reached the port of Constanza, that was the night where they shot Ceausescu. And so people, I, became I, I really, free. people became free. So it was like, it was a freedom tour that you were doing. Like Mandela became free. The people of Romania became free during that time. That's amazing. That was a very interesting time, really. Yes, really. It happened uh, it was, to be there and to witness this kind of events uh, who changed the destiny of a whole nation, you know, Romania. Because I remember the first night when we reached, 
we went down to visit the city Constanza, and believe me, it, it looked like a ghost city. You could feel the heaviness of, you know, how people were feeling at that time. I was so sensitive to energy at that time. I didn't even know it. I didn't even know what it was, but I could feel that there were, people were not happy. You can see them on their ex face, face, facial expressions. Uh, and the second night we were there, they shot Ceausescu. We saw it live on their, their local TV. And you know that a ship cannot leave a port without a pilot. We waited, waited, waited to get a pilot to leave because we, uh, I don't know if it was a loading or unloading uh, oil at that time. I don't remember this detail, but we waited for the pilot to leave. No pilot was, was coming because things were not as normal, you know, big things were happening. I mean, shift in history. So no one came. We had to leave the port, you know, like thieves. We just, uh, my, my husband used the maps and then we just left without even a pilot, which is uh, really something that could, should never happen. But circumstances just made us do it because there was no other way. And then we were scared because we say, if maybe we stay too long, maybe there will be some kind of complications or anything. So as soon as the loading or unloading was, was uh, completed, we had to leave. And then we went down the Suez, Suez Canal, Canal. That was also a beautiful experience we had there uh, with the locals in, that, in, the, in, in Suez. Uh, so yeah, that, that was really a, a trip I will always remember. Definitely a most memorable journey. And um, the pilot, I was just because pe some people don't, I know it because my husband is also in this business. The pilot is actually that boat that leads you out of the port, right? Mm -hmm. It's the person as well. There is a, a, a person who comes, he called, uh, we, his title is the pilot. He will he will guide the, the ship out of the canal. Out of the port, yeah. Out of yeah, the, yeah. the port, so, yeah. Were they all in shock or were they all celebrating or what were they all doing that they you didn't kind of could, couldn't find a pilot in uh, Constanza? <laughs> we, we, we didn't see anyone. No one came. Amazing. People, I think, were scared. People were maybe hiding. So no one yeah. came. We kept calling, calling. No one was was was, was coming to, to let us out. They so didn't know what was going on. And you're talking, we're talking about 1990. I'm just going back. You know, I, I always talk about these times when I was a tour guide in the 80s. I don't know. Did we have cell phones in 1990? Because things were so different. No, you know, no cell phones. No <laughs> cell phones. Because but, the, but, but the, yeah, but the, the boat usually, you know, the ship usually, they have the, the talkie walkie. Or they had yeah. the radio radio communication, yeah. which was there for a very long time. I mean, but uh, the personal mobile phone, I don't think it existed. No, at that time. no, we started. It, it, it's it's round about that time that we started having them. But uh, there was a life before cell phones. I think it's, it's interesting <laughs> for our yes. children to know. Now. Um, I also know about another trip, but I want to talk about that later. You were telling me that you went uh, you went volunteering in Madagascar, but I want to talk about something else, something that made an impression on me and something that made me curious. I'm a very nosy person. I am very interested in how people think and how people tick. And I guess you are the same because we are doing the same work. We did the same training. We are, we believe in energy, but you are also religious. Like I am a Catholic, you are a Muslim. You are a believing Muslim, right? Yes. And absolutely. when I met beautiful Leila, she was wearing a 
headscarf, a hitch, it's called a hijab, right? Absolutely, yes. And I remember I have a beautiful picture with one that was orange. It was just such a beautiful orange color. And she has this <laughs> olive colored skin and she looked beautiful. And we had a few, we had such a mixture of people in that course. We had so many different, um, all different nationalities, different religions, and we had such a wonderful time. But um, suddenly, following Leila, being always, always having Leila in my heart, following Leila on social media, one day I see a picture with that beautiful hair. And I thought, <laughs> oh my God, what happened? What happened, Leila? I will, I will first share how I, I wore the hijab. Yeah. That's also, that's also a story. You know, in, in my family, I was the first one to start praying. And I was 17 years old. My parents were not pra- practicing. They were not, were not praying. I mean, the five prayers as we do right. in Islam, their values are very high, but we, they were not practicing. And the... Uh, they this they did it well after me because usually it's the parents who did the the kids for me it was uh, well after i i started praying uh, i got that strong uh, love for for god at a very young age and what what led to that was that i i'm deeply deeply in love with creation Really, anything that um, I can, I become even a little bit emotional now. Oh, I like that. Go on. <laughs> but, <laughs> no, but truly, you know, I'm I'm really moved by the beauty around us. Yeah, like nature, um, pets, animals, insects. Uh, I I get really. Uh, I'm always in, you know, in awe. Really, yeah. when I see a flower, when I see. The blue sky, when I, and I, I know it's not it's not random. There is creator behind all that. All that, yeah. Uh, so I started looking, and 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 then I got to closer to to God, and God is always in my heart. And then those ten years happen, you know, where uh, in Algeria, my country, we really went through difficult times between 1990 and 2000. So it was we call it the Black uh, Decade. And then I got married in, in um, 1986. And in 1995, I came here to the UAE. And I wasn't wearing the hijab. Very strong belief, believer. You know, I, I, I really, that bond with God has always been very strong. So when I came here to the UAE, I went to a, a remote city because this is where my husband was working. And all women there were, were scarred. They are all wearing the hijab. I, I was maybe the only one who wasn't. And I refused to, to wear it. I didn't want to. My husband kept telling me, you are, you are the odd one out. And uh, why don't you wear the hijab? And I said, no, I will wear it when I, if I'm convinced about it. I'm not going to wear it just because others are wearing it. And then two years later, we decided to go to a pilgrimage to Mecca, you know, in Saudi. Mm-hmm. And, and you know that... Women are not allowed to go to pilgrimage if they are, don't wear the scarf. Right. And I said, God, for many years, I've wanted to, to wear it, but I don't want to wear it because of an, a man or, or a human being will tell me to wear it. I want to wear it because I feel the connection with it. Uh, and I, I wore it at that time to go do, do the pilgrimage. And since then, I kept wearing it. And I was 
um, that trip was amazing. You know, uh, seeing the the Kaaba, which is the yeah. the, the the holy house for Muslim for us. Uh, I, I just fell on my knees and it was really very, very emotional, very strong moment. And I decided I will wear it because at that time, I believed that it was God who wanted us to wear the hijab. And I said, I will do it because God wants, not because uh, someone on the border will tell me to wear it, otherwise I won't get in. And I, I was convinced at that time that that was the right thing to do. And I kept it until two years ago, which that was approximately, I don't know, maybe... 20 years, 20, 26 years, exactly. And all these years, I've always missed going to the sea and swim. I couldn't go and swim. I love the sea. And now I'm past my 50s. And I said, God, I don't want to leave this planet without feeling the, the water in my hair or... or, or um, Emotional again. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, and, and just feel, really feel the water on my skin. I know there are those uh, swimsuits for Muslim women. It's not women. the same. It's, it's not, not the same. It weighs same. you down. It absorbs the water. It becomes heavy. You don't really enjoy. You cannot do those moves in the water. And I do. I do. I have deep respect for everyone's choice. I've been I've been there. I've, I've I know what it is to wear the hijab to be completely convinced about it. But throughout these years, I grew so much and I changed so much through all the what I've read, the training we've been through, the people I've met, the trips I've done. So many different nationalities. We we uh, we get to feel, understand, and, and exchange with. You know, here in the UAE, we are really like a, it's a melting pot, really, yes. in terms of uh, nationalities, ethnicity, and it, it really changes you. You discover so many things that if I stayed in Algeria, for example, I didn't move from there, I would still have those limiting beliefs about maybe Hinduism or Buddhism or, or maybe atheism or why now I've always called myself tolerant but when I came here and I really lived with them felt things with them and with all these different nationalities it opened my mind so much and I just felt how 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 we are maybe different on these external things but deep inside we are just the same all we're of all us. the same it's we're one of all my the same. standard i think i say that in every episode i always say it and because you li- you have traveled you live in in the uae which is as you say a melting pot i have traveled all over the world and lived all over the world and you know you may wear a hijab, you may wear, I don't know what, but when you start talking to each other, you realize that all we want is to feel safe. We want to be happy. We want our children to be happy. Um, we are. We all have the same needs, the same things and beliefs at the end of the day um, are just, you know, they are, they are in our head, really. Mm, absolutely. And they and if we don't pay attention, they might just block us from experiencing the beauty of our our, our, our lives. We we really are blessed to have to live in this time here on planet Earth, really. And you know, spirituality has expanded so much for me from starting from my religion, which is Islam, which is an amazing, amazing uh, religion. It, it, it we. 
really, if we understand it properly, it's really a religion of love, of understanding, of tolerance, but it hasn't been explained to us when we were young the right way. Now, you know, by exploring spirituality, the, the magnificence of the mind, the magnificence of our body as a human being, I just realized that, God, everything has been written for us in our scriptures. We didn't understand it that way, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and just when we think about our souls, our soul is from the soul of God. And there is a verse in Quran which is so clear about it. And we instilled in him, and God was talking about Adam, we instilled in him from our soul. So imagine that, Elizabeth. My soul is from the soul of God. Your soul is from the soul of God and everybody around us. So we are truly the same. Our essence is really from the same source. There is really no difference whatsoever. We just created all those barriers and differences and maybe it entertains or it it entertained us at some point. But then when you go and you try and you look deep, deep, deep inside, we are just the same. Yeah. And this is really amazing. You know, when we get to realize that, if everybody reala- realizes that, there will be no more fights. No. No more, no, no discord, no challenges, no competition whatsoever, but just us living together harmoniously. And, and I hope that one day, majority of us at least will, will get to understand that. And I think that people like us, you and I and many, 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 many of us are a good beginning. And, um, you know, religions are created by people. These books were written by people. They were not written by God, unfortunately. And But I want to come back to the hijab because, as I said, for me, every woman that I've met in my life, whether she's fully covered or covered or whatever, or whatever she's wearing, for me, they are all the same. But many people have a wrong, a wrong conception of wearing a headscarf. Many women in the world think that you have to because your husband tells you, or you have to because I don't know, you don't have to. And I think that's why I wanted to talk to you about this, because First of all, you chose it. You chose it yourself. Your parents didn't tell you that you have to wear it. Absolutely. My parents were not happy when I wore it. <laughs> so so <laughs> yeah, your no, parents were not happy when you wore it, but you wanted to wear it because you felt at that time it was right. Absolutely, yes. And then when you felt that you had kind of maybe outgrown it in a way because it did not have the same significance anymore that it had at the time when you started wearing it because you realized that spirituality or belief doesn't really have anything to do with it. Is that when you decided to remove it? I wore it. I was completely convinced about it. I even defended it because my parents were not happy, but they accepted. They said, okay, if this is what you want, then be it. I wore it for 26 years and all these 26 years, I was really comfortable in it most of the time. But I was always missing that contact, real contact with nature. Yeah. And and I, I just said, okay, this is maybe something I, I have to sacrifice from my life for the love of God. Uh, and it went like that until lately, I just, you know, I kept reading and researching and re- think which normally I should have done early. But I, at that time, I didn't have the maturity I have now. Um, so there is no no guilt or regret about that uh, at all. But I just realized that, you know, so many questions. 
God has created this beautiful planet for us. Would, would he really want half of his population? Just keep it, just assuming that we are half men, half women on the planet, yeah? Half of the population would be completely deprived from enjoying nature, which mm-hmm. means hiking, running, swimming, diving, horse riding, and really do it with with in a normal way. I don't have to do it in a bikini. No, I don't have I don't have either to do it completely covered, not feeling the sun on my skin, not feeling the air in my in my hair, or, or the the ocean or the water in my hair as well, or my head. Does it really make sense? So I had these kind of questions like that, and I said, okay, let's let's un- let's understand who initially asked the woman to wear the hijab. Men, male, not God. Most, I, I, I am not really an expert there, but for sure, men. Why is that? Because so that we don't provoke their uh, instinct of, you know, um, feeling like they want the woman. So mm-hmm. so that our the beauty of the, of the woman will not provoke them. But it's not my responsibility. I mean, if they don't want to be provoked, let them be provoked. It's not up to me. They need to be in control as well. It's too easy like that. Like hide the food so that I don't eat. Mm-hmm. Control your cravings. This is what normally a mature human being needs to do. Like instead, we can let our instincts run wild or we can just learn and mature and become responsible of what we are doing. We cannot blame the other person for not being strong enough to to control ourselves of course i'm not i'm not preaching like uh, um, we need to go out there and be provocative it's not that at all but i don't have to wear a scarf and sweat under it all my life because a man so that a man doesn't look at me and i will tell you something elizabeth i was mostly looked at when i was wearing the hijab than when i wasn't Amazing, amazing. Because you were, yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Were you judged when you were wearing the, the hijab by by people who were not uh, um, Muslim? Uh, absolutely, yeah, of course, yeah. People will. I always felt like I don't know if it was my internal perception, but when I used to wear the hijab, I always felt that pe- people looked at me as someone who wasn't smart enough, or not intelligent enough, or maybe not completely in my mind. Uh, and that insults someone, my pride, some somewhere. You know why? Because I've I've always been like in academia for my whole life. Like my education, I reach doctoral studies in in education. So when people look at me like that, I felt, oh, I'm not that, I'm not that person. And <laughs> take a chance and come and and get to know me. I'll be happy to have a discussion with you. But I don't have to prove anything to anyone. And you know what's happening right now, Elizabeth? When I meet women who are who wear the scarf and I have my hair out, they judge me. Oh, I don't they? Oh, well, so oh, yeah. you, you can't really do it right, can you? <laughs> you? You can't, you can't. You cannot please everybody. Like only two days ago, I was in the in the lift here in my building and, uh, and a, a woman wearing scarf with her boys, they, they wanted to come in, but then she held them so that they won't get in with me on the, on the lift. And I kept the door and I said, please come. Uh-huh. I insisted. I was no, no, please come. And then they came, but the whole time she was looking at me as if I was something wrong. In the you were an alien. 
I was an alien uh, <laughs> and looking away and <laughs> oh, I said, yeah. God, we are judged whatever we do. And I, exactly. I, I had a good uh, internal laugh. <laughs> I said, okay, what can I do? Exactly. I, can only be, I can only be me and yes, do what and makes me happy. You're a beautiful you. And I think this is exactly what we need to do. We need to do what makes us feel good and and uh, let them judge because they will judge no matter what, what you do. They will judge. There will be people who judge you. So, yeah, this is this is, I think, a real insight because I know so many beautiful Muslim women and I have such a beautiful relationship with so many of them. And I just feel that there are so many misunderstandings about this. And I think it's important to talk about it and make friends with them. You know, we can change the world. I believe that women can change the world by by networking and exchanging and now I also want to go back to that trip that you were telling me with your daughter in 2015. You said you you were volunteering in Madagascar. I have never been. I've been to many places, but I have never been to Madagascar. What was that like? It was uh, it was really special. It was really 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 special. It started when my daughter finished her her studies, her her license in finance in at university, and then. To celebrate that, she said, Mama, I want to go and do an international volunteering trip. Okay. And she never did that. I, she never left the house by herself, you know, and I'm very attached to my daughter. So I was scared for her. So I couldn't say no because I never say no to my daughter without any valid reason. I said, I want to say yes, but I'm scared for you. I mean, I, I, how can you go in such a remote place by yourself? Uh, and I started crying and he said, you know, I will, I will say yes, only if we go together. And then she said, yeah, that's a brilliant idea. Let's go together. Like mother and daughter doing volunteer, volunteering uh, abroad. So we went to Madagascar and you're right, Elizabeth, it's such a remote place and so expensive. I mean, I would have done three, four times Dubai, uh, uh, Dubai, Europe, it wouldn't be at that, at that, uh, at that cost. But I said, okay, you want it? Let's do it. So we went to uh, first Abu Dhabi, Dubai, then Dubai, Kenya. There is no straight flight to Antananarivo. So we did Kenya, Nairobi, and then we went to Antananarivo, which is the capital of Madagascar. Yeah. And then from there, we went from, to another island, which is part of Madagascar, called Nosibe. And from Nosibe to Nosikomba, which is a tiny island when you look at it on, on the map. And um, we, we joined uh, the inter- IVHQ, which is International Volunteering Headquarter, very well-known uh, uh, organization that, uh, that, uh, for volunteers. We joined a base, a scientific base there. Uh, they were mostly you know, researching or they had studies on marine life there in Madagascar. And part of their volunteering as well was about, one was about um, helping, I don't know, doing something in the forest for Lemurians. Yes. And then the other one was for uh, teaching English to to the locals there. Right. Because, because it was a touristic um, destination and the locals, they are Francophone, they speak French. Yeah. So their English is not as good. I'm a friend, I used to be a French teacher. Yeah. But I, I went there to teach English. Yes. And you know, 
I only realized afterwards, but really we had the best intentions to go there, to go there and teach them English and and uh, and maybe other things as well. I wasn't a coach at that time. So we went with this intention. And you cannot imagine, Elizabeth, how humbling this that trip was. Because it was volunteering, us giving them part of our civilization and language and everything. When we went there, I learned more from them than I think they learned from me. Their connection with nature is out of this world. You know that they don't have shoes. They wear bare feet. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they walk bare feet. Mm -hmm. So you can't imagine the connection with planet, how strong it is. And they get everything from nature around them. They don't lack anything. They have a, a sense of family, which is extremely strong. A bond with nature, which is something I never experienced before. And they are very, very kind, very peaceful people. And, and after, after, you know, midway in our trip, I just realized, God, we are so pretentious. I know we are. Yeah. I, yeah. Like we, we went there thinking that we are going to teach them something. Mm -hmm. We didn't teach maybe language, but I learned much more from that trip than any other trip in my life. That's amazing. And I, you know, you're, it's actually not the first time that I hear that. And I really believe that. And you see, this is a general thing in life. We can all learn from each other. When we speak to people, if we only listen to respond in a, instead of listening to actually what the other person is saying, that's when we learn. And if, if we think that we know everything, we're not going to learn. I think one of the most important things in life is to never stop learning, to always know that you know, there's something out there that we, we can all learn from each other. Mm -hmm. And um, amazing. I'm, I'm, I, I heard this before. That's why I love this podcast, because I love talk, talking to people and hearing these stories. And somehow throughout every episode, this comes up again and again and again, because we realize that we're all the same. It comes again. So Leila, yes. this time is very passing very fast. We are already coming to the end, but I want to know something else because I know what you do. We are doing a similar thing. How do you help people and how can people find you? I help people unload anything that is not serving them, which means all the emotional baggage, you know, everything that weighs them down, as you said so, so, so rightly at the beginning, it weighs them down because they are not able to it makes them like not being able to see all the possibilities that are out there. You know, all those doubts and limitations that they believe they have, because they don't. We are really limitless. We are magnificent beings. We just don't know it until we let go of those emotions that are not serving us, you know, what we call negative emotions. But they are there to tell us that we don't really see ourselves the way we are. So they are just, you know, signs like, hey, wake up, that's not you. And then when they come to realize that there is more to life than what they have experienced, then they start searching for solutions. And this is where they find people who can help them, people who can be healers, coaches, um, different kinds of therapies. And there are so many out there. But what we do is, is really sharing what we have been blessed with. The That day in the room where we were training to become coaches and I let go of all the negative emotions I had in my life in the past. I just discovered like, it's as if someone had put the light on. I started seeing things so brightly around me, really literally. 
And I felt like, God, I can be here now and, and enjoy it. And at that moment, you know, Elizabeth, I just realized that this is what people need. Mm-hmm. This is what this is what really everybody would can benefit from and, and start living a life of freedom where they can really choose who to who to who to become or exactly what how what kind of life they can create for themselves. And I just made it my vocation now. I I, I love what I do. Um, when my clients come and they come as a person, they live as an as a new their new mm-hmm. self, completely free and joyful. Even their facial features, their expression changes, um, and it. I just fall in love each time with it, and I'm really grateful for the opportunity I had to to be trained in this way, and also to learn more about it over the years. It has been already almost. Eight years yes. since our 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 uh, yes. training, yes. but those past eight years have been blissful, really. Yeah, and you do. I've seen. We will put your website in the show notes. So because you also coach people online, so people who are listening, because people are listening to my podcast in a hundred and five countries. It used to be a hundred and four, but yesterday I checked. There is one more. I don't <laughs> know which one it is. So. Fantastic. I will put the website in the show notes and you can get in touch with Leila Atbi because she can really help you let go of what weighs you down. And I think this is the moment where we should give a little shout out to Robert Simic, shouldn't we? Our guru, the person who trained us at the time where we met in that room. We had a beautiful time. I have such fond memories of that training. Done many different things, many different trainings, but I think that was one of the most beautiful ones. Yes. Robert the Wizard, we call yes, him. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> we'll we'll yeah. hack him when we post this. Layla, amazing, it, amazing person, yes. It, mm-hmm. He is. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on my podcast, Most Memorable Journeys today. Thank you for being here and thank you for spending time with me. Thank you very much, Elizabeth. Really, it was a pleasure. Uh, I really loved each minute of it. Uh, thank you for the opportunity and thank you to the audience as well for listening. If you enjoy my podcast, please like, share and subscribe to my channel. You will find all the information in the show notes.